If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. It's a new day, and you are for some reason choosing to spend a little bit of it with me. I'm Alon Danziger, your host for Lost and Rewound, right here on Radio Free Brooklyn, coming at you from the lair, as always, for your Thursday afternoon, and still keeping a safe distance from the outside world for more reasons than one. Thanks for tuning in, or uh, riding down the streaming airwaves with me. Lost and Rewound is the weekly dive into your sounds from the past. Your past, that is. Y- you could call it personal audio archaeology, perhaps. I don't know if anyone's reserved that term yet, but if so, email me and let me know, okay? Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. That is the email address and where you could touch base with me for any pitches that you may have regarding any aged recordings of yourself, your band, your mother. Let's hear what you have, and maybe, just maybe, you'll get to come on and we can learn a little bit more about how you got from there to here. Now, earlier this week, Will Hasty and I had a chance to interview Becca Bebaraji, uh, who shared with us some great songs from her own archives. I'm going to play a snippet of one of those tracks right now, uh, one that we did not get a chance to listen to during the recording. Enjoy, and the interview will begin momentarily. I'm going to go live my lies gonna go live my lies cause you're crazy so hazy all alone cause you're making This week's guest is a tiny human by the name of Becca Barbaraji. In the before times, you may have caught her full-length plays or solo shows at the Tank, such as Party Animal, which was selected for the Tank's 2019 Lady Fest. 
Her short films, B-Sides and Two Ushers Walk Into a Play, were official selections of IndieFest, the New York Liftoff Festival, and the Latin film market, just to name a few. Furthermore, Becca previously served as the comedy producer at Paste Magazine. She is a New York City native who now resides in Los Angeles and is making music under the name Rosalina Albino, and that, my friends is precisely why she is joining Will, Hasty, and myself this week on Lost and Rewound. What up, Becca? Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Uh, You are currently in L.A. You uh, basically just got to L.A. And uh, as quickly as you got to L.A., you are now quarantining in L.A. What's it like quarantining out there? Uh, It's kind of like I'm in this weird alternate reality where I have no idea where I live. It's kind of like a prison in a way because I'm so used to the freedom of New York. So I was like Mm -hmm. excited to get to know the city and excited to kind of like take it over or whatever. When I got here, I cut my hair. You know what I mean? I was like, I have a new identity, blah, blah, blah. And it was like by my shoulders and like not a good look. It's been very lonely mentally, I guess, with not being able to like interact with people in a constant social setting and a constant like putting on a character for people which I I do and I have done because I that's the way I survive I just kind of like compliment people and I'm just like I'm friendly and I'll disarm you and I'm like this little fairy that will go from here to here to here and that's what people know me as I was given such an identity that I was like the one that people could claim you know what I mean like I'm Latin American right and I have been given the identity of being like this urban girl from New York City, from Washington Heights. You know, and a lot of times with like white women, I've had to kind of code switch, which is something that I've realized recently, like that's just something I've done my whole life. I didn't even comprehend that it was instilled in me at such an early age, where the struggle with me being the comedian in a group and being like the funny one or being the weird one that takes the joke or is the butt of the joke was just what people were used to. And when I decided to move here, I was interacting with people and women that didn't really see me for who I was and saw me as somebody to compliment them. And I feel like that was not, I feel like that that was just a common thing that happened my whole life. Cause I was taught like to assimilate in a way that wasn't like assimilate. It was just like by the actions of my family and how we survived, you know, like take the opportunity, even if you're insulted and understand that's how the world would treat you, but like get ahead by working hard, nodding and smiling, you know? And when I stopped doing that, it was just like this eruption. People just couldn't understand that I could speak out. What were the series of factors that led you to realize that this had been a sort of subset underlying passive thing in your life? that you didn't even realize you were doing? Well, I had a manic episode (laughs) last year. I lost 20 pounds over the course of like a month. You know, I I have bipolar and PTSD and there was a death, a couple of deaths in the comedy community and suddenly I thought that I was gonna die every time I went to sleep and I couldn't sleep and I stopped eating and then I was convinced that I had cancer and I had, you know, and I, I like drove my partner crazy and it's hard, you know, when your partner wakes up in the middle of the night and they're like screaming or crying and, and can't sleep and are talking a mile a minute. And when that happened, I was going to a lot of doctors and I had a psychiatrist who I didn't really trust. 
And she kind of labeled me in a different way. She put in my chart that I had borderline personality disorder, but I'm like, you never told me that, you know? And it was just something to like identify me as. And, and I got really upset because I'm like, you didn't tell me that about myself. Like you're labeling me in a way that I don't know, you know, like I should be able to have insight into that. So I got fired from a job that was the most toxic the most toxic environment I'd ever been in. You know, I was paid shit. My boss was a misogynistic woman. And she assumed that I was her best friend. She can talk to me however she wanted. And she basically, when she let me go, it was actually pretty funny. I texted her my coworker by accident. That was a text meant for my friend calling my coworker a bitch. (laughs) Oh boy. I mean, thank God the job was over at this point, right? Well, I was going to quit because this woman, I'd planned to come to LA to have a couple of meetings Mm. and I told her about it two months before. And then when I reminded her, she acted like I never had, even though I was like, I have an email that you said it was okay. So I got fired and I was just like, fuck y'all. And it was hard because I was like, it was another time where a white woman was letting me know my role for her. And my role was to be amiable and to be quiet and do what she wanted and to laugh at her jokes when she wanted. And it was really hard because like she called me a tiny human, a tiny brown human once and then made a joke that I should talk to her doorman who speaks Spanish. And like she would hand me the phone and I was like, I don't speak Spanish fluently. Like I, I don't. And then she would be like, how, how can you not? And when I got fired, I was like, okay, fuck you. I got a job. I got two jobs a week like that Monday, it was a Friday I got fired and I got uh, hired at two jobs on Monday, which paid me so much more than I got paid at this job working 40 hours a week. And this job I worked 20 hours. I just sat at a desk. I did experience the same thing. I was the only Latin person in the office. I'm the one who cleans the desks, you know? My mother has always been like, you know, don't call yourself a glorified maid. Just be grateful to have these jobs. But like, truly, I feel like that. It's so demeaning in such a micro way that it just adds up, adds up, adds up, and then like traumatizes you. I worked at a job uh, right before I moved out here where I told my boss my mother's an immigrant and that I'm Hispanic. And he assumed that I could speak Spanish fluently and gave me all these documents in Spanish to, to proofread. And I was like, I can't do that. Like, you can't entrust me with that. And he was like, you're more of an expert than I am. And I was like, what? Like, I as best as I could because of Google. And oh, I was like, yeah. Yeah, some mistakes. And I was like, I fucking told you fluently. <laughs> and I told my mom about it. And she was just like, you should get paid more. And I was like, yeah, try to be me asking. Like, asking for a raise. Like, I got promised a raise at a job once. And then they told me, never mind. You know, at school, I was the urban kid, you know, it was just this, people put identity on me. So now coming full circle back to being in LA and during COVID, it's given me the opportunity to be like, hey, I've been wronged, you know, and how do I forgive? That will be on my shoulders for my whole life. I just have no power, you know? Ah, but you have a lot of power because as an artist and as someone who, from all that I could tell, I mean, your body of work uh, in your short life so far uh, is really just a, a huge uh, undertaking yeah, based on those experiences. What, definitely. And that's what I realized and why I kind of quit stand-up because I didn't feel like I was doing anything to help the world or help myself. You know, I just felt like I was making fun of myself for the sake of an audience who 
make jokes about how small I am, make jokes about, you know, my boobs are big and I fall over or whatever. I'm like, mm, I can't come. That wasn't me. I want to talk about why I can't come. It's because I've been raped several times. You know what I mean? Like, those are things that people don't want to hear in certain mediums, if that makes sense. You are a storyteller through and through. That's a correct assessment. Yeah, it's so funny because two years into dating my fiance, I had done a show that I was like, fuck, like I bombed or whatever. And I was like, you know, dude, you know, I'm trying to be a good comedian. And he told me, he's like, I don't see you as a comedian. I was like, what? And he goes, I see you, you're a storyteller. I got offended because I was just like, who are you? Like, I'm trying to do stand up. Like, this is what I'm trying to do. And now I'm like, oh shit. Like, that's what I love to do. That's what I'm good at telling stories. And there's like a comedic sense to them. That's not in my entire self. Do you know what I mean? You're telling stories through music. You're telling stories through film. You're telling stories through stage. And you're a visual artist, so you tell also a lot of stories through your art. Actually, uh, on that topic, I would love to uh, call attention to the painting of which obviously no one can see but uh is there, there's a painting and then there's a sketch that's uh, behind you um and i'm curious is that something that you created yourself is that yeah. yours okay so for the, for the listener I, I i mean it's a very abstract painting but i can't quite tell what it is face in a like geometric whatever um yeah i've i've been um trying to draw faces that are not European looking, if that makes sense. Like any yeah. art class I've been in, any sketchbooks that teach you how to draw a face, just a European looking face. And I've been trying to experiment with enjoying and appreciating my indigenous face. A lot of them are like kind of self portraits and I kind of just try to draw my nose or I try to draw my sister's nose. And that's a big thing because my whole life I thought I wanted to have a pointier nose and I hated that. Like I had a little bridge and I was like, I'm ugly. And people used to tell me I look like I had Down syndrome. And it took me a very long time to even acknowledge that like my face is a face. I look like the native women in Ecuador. Fuck yeah. I'm a goddamn witch, you know? <laughs> and painting was one of the first mediums that I was able to use because I was uh, very sick when I was a kid. I had a stroke when I was eight and was paralyzed. They could have stopped it, you know? But here's another example. My mom studied nursing and she told them, like, I think my daughter is having stroke symptoms because I was having mini seizures for years. My nickname was Roadrunner growing up. I was like moving around all the time. So suddenly I was just confined. It was like the first time in my life I was told, you're this, you're a vegetable. And I had doctors tell me like, She's going to be in a wheelchair for her whole life. And now we get in trouble for trying to stand and being stuck on the floor for like 45 minutes. I used to think that I was making up the paralysis and that I, if I just thought, you know, I could move, I would. And I would constantly try to get up and hurt myself. And it was really like a slap in the face. Like I, I became an adult very quickly as a kid. And at the same time, like I didn't have a childhood because at an early age, I just had to accept my situation. So my mother is the person who is a storyteller herself, you know, we had a really hard relationship for many years just because of trauma and all that stuff. But she is the one who made me an artist. She's the one who's like, write what you know. She's the one who would buy me all these journals and would be like, write short stories, like write about your stroke or whatever. Um, and she would buy me oil pastels, which are like, I guess the easier ones to smudge. And mm -hmm. she would have me draw and smudge the pastels with my left thumb to start exercising that. But like, I was not supposed to move. 
the first time I moved was my pinky. I was sitting up one day and I just was like staring and hating myself. I remember that. And I just moved my pinky, you know? And then it was like, that's when people started to believe that I could get better. I had died three, like I, I tell people this and they're like, like I've died three times in my life and came back and I was like, okay, so I should be here. Something wants me to be here. That's when I became disabled. Like I have disability, I have chronic nerve pain, I have weakness, I still have weakness on the left side of my body. When COVID started and I wasn't moving, I was in chronic pain every day. I couldn't move, like I could not get out of bed. And my fiance just had to help me. And I was like, you need to help me walk. I just couldn't move. My body remembers everything. And I was always very aware that adults couldn't understand what I was going through and just assumed that I didn't know what was going on. But I was very aware of everything. I had to be okay. I had to be okay because if they saw me not okay, that would be a limitation for me. Um, and I learned to walk again. I went to rehab hospital. You know, I was homeschooled. I started writing poetry. I was painting and I played music and I you know, started acting. Like every day, all I could do was do something. I'm not great at academics, you know, I'm not gonna act like I am. Like I love to read and I've kind of survived based on using my art, you know, to get from A to B to C and like getting opportunities and jobs and stuff. And it saved my life, you know, and I can't not do it. It's almost like my teddy bear. You have siblings, older or younger? Both, I'm the middle child. What kind of camaraderie occurred when it came to the arts? Uh, was there some kind of kinship that you had with either one of them in an artistic capacity? My siblings are artists as well. My, my brother is a animator, animation something. He played classical guitar for years and was fucking incredible. And then he went into art. My sister, my brother, like when we were growing up, we leaned on each other and my sister played violin. She's a, a violinist and teaching artist. And she taught me how to play violin again as therapy when I came home and had my weakness. She is like my idol, basically. There's such a bond with siblings that you can't really explain, especially when you have a bond when you've experienced trauma and abuse with each other. And you learn once you get older and leave that situation that like a lot of your relationship was just based on the abuse that you had and how you protected each other. And it was just a scary household to be in. So art was our way of just like escaping. I was writing something about this recently where writing in my room, in the room that we shared, because it was a one bedroom apartment with family bed, like we were poor. I would have like a half an hour in the room to write. And then I would just like look at the door because my dad would just want the doors open. When I practiced violin, he would come in and judge me and be like, you should do this, just feel it. And he was just a very unhappy man. He went through a lot in his life and being out of this situation, I do forgive him for all that, but I will never want to be in a relationship with him because he never healed. He's like somebody who wanted to just give in to his destructive past and not deal with it. Um, but back to my siblings, it's so funny because we, watched movies all the time. Like that's all we did. We listened to music and like soundtracks to movies. And that was what we did when we were together. Like after, like I can't even tell you how many times we watched The Mummy, you know? <laughs> my brother would be scared at the same parts every time. And I'm like, we watched this yesterday, you know, when there's a jump. Like that was where we bonded. Like it, it was just my love for movies is purely, be like I've watched so many movies because that's what we did. 
you know, that was what we were allowed to do. We weren't really allowed. We weren't allowed outside the house. I didn't have freedom. I didn't have friends because my dad didn't allow it. Kind of a prison. Now, because we're out of it, like my mother is finally healing and it's just very hard to have a close relationship at this point, you know? Because trauma really separates people, especially if they bonded over it. You, you sort of articulated how it's very hard for you to have a personal relationship and it's very hard for you to open up and it's very hard for you to genuinely be personable. And yet here you are engaged with a life partner, creating art and genuinely owning your own voice in a way you never have before, even though you've been pursuing it for years. That in and of itself is pretty fucking biblical, you know, as, as those type of, you know, transitions go. I want to make a note. You laughed very heartily when he said biblical. Does, what, what does the word biblical mean to you, Becca? Interesting story. I love the Met. I love museums. And my favorite painting at the Met is a painting of Joan of Arc surrounded by ghosts of soldiers in like this woods. I forgot the name of the artist, but he's a French artist. That painting has followed me around my whole life. You know, that was my favorite painting. That painting was in the entrance of the nunnery. These things just kind of add up. And I had to write like an essay and get like recommendations to get in. And my essay started with like, I need a home. Like I, I live in an abusive household. And I was like desperate, man. Like my father told me a month before that I should have been aborted and he didn't want me. And I recorded the uh, conversations because I would come home from evening conservatory and he would just like break me the whole yeah. night and I was just yeah. exhausted. The nun that worked at the front desk took my packet and was very sassy. She's just like, ooh, like, I don't want to work. She basically was just like, fuck y'all, I'm a nun, you know? I want to praise Jesus or whatever. She was like, there's a long wait list. I'm like, okay, like, can you just take my packet? And she's like, well, how dire is it? And I started crying and I was like, really, I really need it. And she looked at my essay and like the first line was what I just said. And she looked at me and it was just like this compassion and shock. And she was like, I'll pass this along, you know, and put it at the top of the list. A couple of weeks later, I got an email from the administrator and they were like, you know, normally we wouldn't do this, but it seems like you really need help. I've never been a very religious person, but that fucking place saved my life. I love sitting in chapels and I would just sit in that chapel all the time that they had there and just like cry. I was living with a roommate at one point and she was goddamn crazy. And then I got a single and that room was literally like bed, mini fridge, dresser, desk, closet, and I could only walk in and out sideways. And I didn't give a shit. That was where I lived. I lived there for four years. That was my safe haven. It was legitimately my safe haven. Men weren't allowed to go inside and it protected me. And even though these women, these sisters were just kind of like, kind of bitches a lot of the time, they were there for me when I needed it. You know what I mean? Like they were just- yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they'd always be like, we're there for you, but also can you talk to somebody else? <laughs> we're here, but also, we're fucking guns, all right? We got shit to do. We don't got time for you. <laughs> oh, it's, like, it's like, we're doing this, but because Jesus kind of wants us to, right? Right? All right, yeah, yeah, I know we're here. Music is, of course, uh, a huge part of your artistry. Uh, I studied at Bloomingdale School of Music on the Upper West Side. I studied there for 10 years, and, you know, then I, I played violin, and then I was like, meh, I don't like violin. And then I played piano, and I'm not very good, you know, but, like, I'm good enough. And my teachers there were, like, my first therapists, which is funny how, like, we connected to that, because they all knew this living situation I was in, and they all encouraged me 
in different ways. Like I would have half an hour, 45 minute piano lessons and I would barely play. And my teacher would just be talking to me about what was going on in my life and just being like, oh, you're interested in acting or art. Like you should go to this place or, you know, just letting me vent about what was going on in my life. It's really incredible. Like I've been lucky to have teachers in my life that really care enough to talk to me and see me as a person. And then I had a vocal teacher who I'm still in contact with today. And she basically was just like, oh, you want to play your own songs? Let's work on your own songs. You know, like we started doing, you know, pop music or singing Adele and stuff. And then she was like, you write songs? Let's, let's work on that. She helped me play for like open mics and like I got gigs and then invited her to them. And she taught me how to breathe. And I never learned the importance of breath. And I'm currently still trying to understand it, you know? My parents didn't want me to go to open mic. My dad was like, do you think you're good enough to whatever? Like, he would just try to make you feel so insecure that you didn't try anything. He wanted to break us because he was broken. That's all he knew how to do. That's all he knew what to do because that's what he learned. He was always so close, always so close to moving away from it. And he never did. He lived his life with drugs and he gambled and he like stole money from us and tried to take a loan out for a car under my name and denied everything. And it just, he's just like a, I don't think he's an evil person, but he acted evil. And he was unmedicated, undiagnosed. And just, I think he was like schizophrenic. He would detox and go cold turkey in front of us. And he would just be like shaking on the couch and like saying that my paintings were talking to him. He lost all his teeth because of his drug abuse and he didn't have any teeth. And, you know, we got one time he was eating a sandwich one time and a tooth fell out into the sandwich. And I was just like, that is my fear. That is my number one fear. I had a cavity the other, like a couple of years ago and I like wanted to die. I was like, oh no. Um, So yeah, I think he did know because there are times where I just don't think he could control himself. I've done a lot of work on myself and I made it a point to be in therapy for forever. And I've also kind of addressed like my faults with like, I'm not just a victim. I've victimized people as well. And I've like taken on characteristics of my father and my mother because that's what I learned. Sometimes I think I'm like, oh, I allowed myself to be sexually assaulted, but I did not That's what I learned. And I told my father when I was 16 that I got assaulted by this guy who's 20 and he told me like, it was my fault. Like nobody did anything, you know? And he fucking took advantage of me. I was in an abusive relationship that was a constant, or just be bitten or whatever, or be like braided. Like he treated me like my father treated me. So I was like, oh, this is love and this is normal. And then like made excuses for when I was hurt or abused or assaulted or whatever, because I was like, oh, this is just how men are. And I have to deal with it. But that's not true. It put me in a place at one point that I was just mad at men. And then now I'm kind of in this place where I need to acknowledge that. Once again, that speaks to a pretty unbelievable and very significant transition within yourself. Yeah. I didn't have control at that time. I don't have control over how these men were, but I have control over how I feel. And it's fucking hard. There's more to come with Becca Beberaji right after this quick word from RFB. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. 
All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. For this second half of Lost and Rewound, first of all, thank you for sticking around. After what was a very confessional and beautiful first half, we are now segueing into the main event, which is Rosalina Albino, the music project of Becca Bebaraji. Uh, Rosalina Albino is a fantastic name. How did you come up with this name? Um, I wrote a vampire novel when I was 13. I was obsessed with vampires. Like, I thought I was going to marry one. Like, I was just like, this is erotic. There was a uh, author, a, like, teenage author who, like, had these vampire coming-of-age books called Amelia Atwater Rhodes, and she was, like, my favorite writer for the longest time, and I was like, she's a teenager. I can write a novel, so I wrote a novel called The Curse of the Black Rose, and it was about a girl based on myself in Washington Heights saving the world from vampires, Um, and I told my family about it, and my uncle, uh, Pablo, who's, he's a police officer in Florida, he read part of it, and he was like, you know what your pen name should be? Rosalina Albino and he gave it to me and I was like oh and it's just followed me my whole life and I thought like it was part of my identity and it was something that a man who's a great uh who is a great uh father figure to me who gave it to me and gave enough efforts to think of it you know and yeah he's great he's my favorite is the music that you made under the name Rosalina Albino also music that you were contributing with this bless mob material no i had not i i just recently uh started making music under rosalina albino bless mob was the first band that i was in with my fiance um we collaborated five months into our relationship and almost broke up we played with another bass player and a pianist and it was just really fun to kind of stretch that muscle was the first band i was ever in and i always wanted to be in one, and the song Mad Woman that I wrote was, uh, I was watching Mad Men during that time, and I was uh, inspired by uh, John Hamm's wife in there. I've got her name right now, and she was like a batshit crazy, like, housewife. Um, so I wrote it about that in like 15 minutes.
that was fun. <laughs> um, Zach loves to add like the little things I say after record. I'm like always talking when we record, and I'm like, oh, that's fun. That sucks. Oh my god, dicks. Like I'll just say things like that. <laughs> it makes it so much more real. It makes it so much more fun, and like you really feel you. And what's crazy, what I didn't expect about that song was that like. That was clearly your voice. And I don't mean your voice in terms of like, hey, I'm singing. I mean, like, no, that's clearly a person. That's your spirit. That's your spirit in the track there. Five months into your relationship, you decide to record music together. We talked on Tinder for like six months. He was moving and I was, you know, I was dating somebody else. So he had in his profile that he was a drummer from the studied at Yale. And I was like, hmm. I sent him demos that I had recorded previously with somebody and he gave me really nice feedback. He was just like, oh, I'm interested. It wasn't just like, oh my God, you sound so good. He truly was just like, oh, it's cool. Like, I'm interested to see how your voice grows, you know, because he was like, I feel like it hasn't found its claim yet. And then when we started dating, we just have the same taste in music. I would go to all his shows. He was in this band that was like really bad. Um, But what a sensation of a drummer. And he had met a, a bass player that he wanted to collab with, but they couldn't find a vocalist. So he was like, do you want to jam with us one day? So I went to the jam session and the bass player had written like half of a song. And then I wrote the second half of it. And I just sang it and like it worked and we were having a lot of fun. We recorded the EP, but we also did a couple of gigs. We played at Toshi's Living Room at one point and it was like a two hour set for $35. Uh, you know? Wow. Um, yeah, because we got a cut from the bar and nobody was there on a Monday night. Interesting experience. I loved working with him, but then there was like kind of conflict between me and the bass player who's really misogynistic. A nice guy, but like would not respect any of my like ideas and stuff and would interrupt me a lot. And the reason why I say like we almost broke up because I was like, you didn't defend me. And he thought he engaged in the argument that we would break up. <laughs> He was just constantly worried that we were going to break up. And I was like, no, I love you. Like, I wanted to be here and work on this. And then that ended, and it took a while for us to collaborate again. And then we collaborated on Hot Takes. So I had a character called Bad Mind that I used for music for a while. And then he really liked it, so I gave it to him. And he uses it as his producer name, and then I used Rosalie on Bino. Um, so he recorded his EP, and I was just, like, really excited about it. And I was like, let's record more stuff. So... It's kind of been an ongoing thing. Like I would write songs here and there and then he'd be like, oh, this is cool, maybe this thing. It was just like a constant collaboration. Mm. Um, and it's really lucky that we live together and he has a studio, but <laughs> but um, yeah, it was just, uh, it just comes naturally. We work really well together and we have the same kind of sensibility. This track, Hot Takes, you were alluding to earlier as a sort of a more comedic track. Uh, and, you know, I suppose when you have your creative ideas at the table, the musicians sort of have to fall in line. Was that something that everybody was more or less game for, for you to bring your comedy chops to the table here? It was an experiment that we both wanted to try out. Um, and then he told me, he was like, I don't really want to do comedic songs. And then I realized that I didn't want to do it either. This was after the fact, you know, when we both were like trying to find ourselves and he wrote like the synth part and then I just kind of riffed over it and we're like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Like we should uh, record that. Working with him is so great. You know, it's like a different kind of intimacy, which not a lot of people are lucky to have, I guess, in partnerships. We've never been like, oh, you're not spending enough time with me. Like give up your art for me. And it's always just been like, let's find time to spend together and also like, pursue your fucking dreams. Let's take a listen to this next track and uh, we'll have our thoughts after.
Hot Takes. Hot Takes and Ace. Hot Takes and Ace. Living in a world Trying to be so pretty Living in a world Eating some hot spaghetti But you say that you're with her Laughing as she tries to be heard And you're so shocked she has eyes Watching as you lose your damn mind Hot takes and lace Hot takes and lace Hot takes and lace Hot takes and lace my dance in there becca remember when i danced at qed and that's that that show that we were on together stop i'm just saying i'm just saying that your your music makes me want to move to a level where i am interpretive dancing in my chair i'm not gonna lie it's changed a little bit since then okay that's fine. I accept. What kind of music were you listening to to get you in that headspace to create the music that you're making? Right now, I am definitely influenced by Lama Delray. I'm influenced by Virginia Spector and Billie Holiday. I sang jazz for a while and felt like 
an imposter. I'm just kind of piecing together the parts of me that come out naturally and then writing better songs. And I've never written better songs than I have now. Um, and I just released a song called Movie Star over the summer and that I got a really good response from it because it wrote about my love for Peter Pan and being a child. And a lot of people responded to it, you know? And it was cool because I, I just wrote it like over the course of an hour and I was like, oh, this is stupid. And then Zach was like, no, this is really good. Let's record it, I have these ideas. It was like one of the first ones where I was just like, yeah, I can be sincere. Your story over the course of this episode has been essentially you getting more comfortable with just speaking your truth. Yeah, and that's that, real. And that not only is real, I cannot stress this enough. That's the only thing people want to hear. And that's the only yeah. thing they care about. And when you do that, when you genuinely have the ability and the willingness and the bravery to do that, sky's the limit. In like-mindedness of with uh, creating music to confront the, uh, the past and show that you have prevailed. I think it makes a lot of sense that the music that you're making allows you, and the response, more importantly, that you're getting um, shows that you've won. Radio Free Brooklyn would be privileged to uh, have those keys played by you right now. I didn't prepare it, no. <laughs> if I fuck up, it's your fault. Fly. 
other kings and queens, other kings and queens we'd be. simply stunning honestly it was beautiful and it really, it really is transcending yeah transcending and just like the lyrics are are just it it just gives you so much hope that like everything that you had to uh go through and somebody just as well who's going through things of whom you know they feel like they may be insecure or insignificant and just like i don't know there's just a tinge of hope that just really allows anybody listening to feel like they're worth something and they belong yeah Everyone needs to get in touch with their inner child. The fact that you even have the knowledge and awareness to articulate your true sense of creation as it's all just getting back to that creation of a child is pretty fucking incredible. Right in line with the ethos of this show, we are still that child and it hasn't left. Could you tell us maybe how that might feed into the second track you're going to play? Yeah, it's um, unreleased. It's going to be, I think, after the, the one I'm going to release next. It's exclusive, exclusive, exclusive. <laughs> um, this is called Girl in the House. It's about first love and how it can be really destructive and how you can just do everything you want for another person, everything the other person wants you to do, and about your innocence, in a way, being tainted. You ready? Let's do it. Walking away, hair in my eyes. You call me fake. I won't lie. I am a girl in your house, keeping it clean while you are outside. In your house, you call me fake and lock me out. You tease me, saying it will never be clean. You leave me in Central Park that one evening. I won't lie. But there are times you call me out, out of my mind. I am the girl in your house, keeping it clean while you are out. I am the girl in your house, you call me fake and lock me out. You tease me, saying it will.
do you have a relationship with the surroundings of your youth and when you go back there does it trigger memories from when you were younger fuck yeah that's one of the reasons why i wanted to move out of new york because i number one i always run into people that i know that i try to run away from like the person the song is about i ran into him a couple of years ago and i was like terrified and they're like landmarks that i love but also like i consider so many corners of New York City to have all the ghosts of my life. I wrote this poem the other day and one of the lines was, I'm a warrior of my life and everyone else's. And that's kind of how I feel. And that's kind of how I started to get better as a writer. This uh, looks good on you. It sounds good on you. And uh, it feels good on you. So just keep doing it. Music seems to be a cathartic experience for both you one genre she, she can do, do whatever the fuck you want you know what no. I, mean? I mean you're just getting started i mean honestly i mean this is like i mean you're you have a soundcloud yes. where people can go to yes. listen to all of your uh, songs uh under the rosa rosalina albino albino uh rosalina albino sings at soundcloud and uh, you're on a few other platforms too i do believe yeah rosalina albino sings on everything comments on spotify and band cam Bandcamp is preferred because Spotify doesn't pay artists really well. Yeah, and I have a YouTube page, I have a Instagram. Um, yeah, I post like little videos of demos on my Instagram sometimes that I'm trying to post about my songs more. You have a website, BeccaTheTinyHuman.com. I have to bring attention to one other uh, one of these things. When people go to that website, they could uh, see that uh, if they want, they could uh, subscribe to a newsletter that you send people personally called Dear Mind. Do you want to talk about that just uh, briefly? Yeah, um, Dear Mind is my opening that I used to have for every one of my journal entries growing up because I was always talking to myself and I thought it'd be a cool thing to do like journal entries or, or uh, like updates on life or poetry forms um, in a newsletter because I'm working on a book right now and I'm hoping to just like start uh, reopening that story again. You know, I have 15 subscribers, so I would love more. This hour has been just tremendously uh, important, and uh, it would not have been as important as it had been were you not our guest for this week of Lost and Rewound. Becca Bebaraji, our special guest for this week, sharing stories, music, and um, just a lot of great, great feelings that we all need to be in touch with <laughs> um you're the best thank you thank you so much becca have a good one thanks guys stressful week and i imagine you might be <laughs> chances are you might need to burn off some calories let off a little steam and in the outside chance you live in new york city and are looking to get outside and not be confined to your peloton bike or your yoga videos well i have some great news for you city running tours is now offering neighborhood running tours designed with the locals in mind 
You could choose up to 23 unique tours in either Manhattan, the Bronx, Queens, or right here in Brooklyn. I know Bushwick is one of those neighborhoods included, as well as Long Island City, the East Village, uh, the Upper West Side, and even Roosevelt Island. How cool is that? City Running Tours offers a fantastic opportunity for one to learn about the history of a neighborhood, get personal recommendations from your guide, and on top of all that, they are offered seven days a week. For more info, of which includes a full tour schedule, visit cityrunningtours.com slash New York City. Our thanks again to Becca Beberaji, a.k.a. Rosalina Albino, for being brutally candid and brave enough to share songs of hers and play some of them even for us over Zoom. This has been episode 232 of Lost and Rewound. You can hear all the other 231 episodes on SoundCloud or Apple Podcasts, or you can visit us at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash LAR for 200-plus episodes to choose from, and they are powered by the Megaphone Player. Signing off from the lair this week, this is Elon Danziger telling you to keep wearing your mask, wash your hands often, and black lives, they still matter okay. Catch us here on Radio Free Brooklyn next Thursday from 3 to 4 p.m. Bye-bye. I don't know how to, um, I really, I literally have no idea how a Yanni song goes. But if I did know how a Yanni song went, it would go something like this. know how any yanni songs go because i really i don't know how any yanni songs go off the top of my head you really don't <laughs> <laughs>